This episode is supported by Jace Medical. You may or may not know that in December, drug shortages across the U.S. hit a record high. This is causing severe disruptions in medical treatments, resulting in delays, treatment cancellations, and the unfortunate rationing of vital medications. I know that I have heard in the last few months from multiple mom friends of mine, instances where they have not been able to get medications for themselves or for their children in critical crisis moments. This is so, so scary. I know I've had friends with their kids having seasonal flu cold symptoms, struggling to breathe, and they're at urgent care and unable to get the antibiotics that they need because of these shortages. This is scary stuff. Most notably, one of the short supply antibiotics is amoxicillin, which is commonly used for so many of our children's illnesses. So here's where Jace Medical comes in. They have the Jace case, which is a personalized emergency medication kit that contains five essential antibiotics that are used for the most common common and deadly bacterial infections. And you can also customize your case and add additional life-saving medications based on your or your children's family's unique needs, like an EpiPen, for example, something that you would never want to be without, would never want to have to run from pharmacy to pharmacy in pursuit of. So if you want to go get these medications and have your antibiotics on supply so that you always have them when you need them in case of an emergency, in case of a disaster, in case of being a, you know, a victim of this drug shortage, Jace Medical will have you covered. All you need to do is go to jacemedical.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout for a discount on your order. That's promo code SHAMELESS at jacemedical, J-A-S-E medical.com, jacemedical.com, code SHAMELESS. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean, and I'm here to give you and other passionate, dedicated moms the tools you need to bridge the gap between motherhood and living the life of your dreams. I'm also here to help you be a little more shameless every day, because if you aren't building a life you're extraordinarily proud of, what kind of legacy are you building? So let's dive in. On today's episode of the Shameless Mom Academy, I'm interviewing Aaron Brown from I Am Aaron Brown. Aaron is someone I have been fangirling for a number of years now. So I came across Aaron Brown at a time when I was in desperate need for different kinds of personal trainers in my life. So I've always been surrounded by many personal trainers and professionals who I've highly admired and held in high regard, but I was in a space of trainers who were all building businesses around helping women shrink. And that was something that after I had Vinny, I was kind of over that. And so like, if you want to lose weight, that's great. I can totally help you with that. And I do that a lot with my gym in Seattle. I help women meet their fitness goals and meet weight loss goals. But I also didn't want to just have that be like the only conversation that I was a part of. And I felt like even in my own life and my own journey with weight loss after Vinny was born, something I really struggled with was like, what if I just don't want to shrink anymore? What if I don't want to lose my baby weight? And what if I'm just okay with where I'm at? And where are the people who just support us women being cool and amazing where we're at versus always hustling to get smaller and take up less space and shrinking. And so I came across Erin Brown on Facebook and I felt like everything she said just gave me permission to be okay with where I was at. And I really, really needed that. I didn't need anyone to tell me like how I could get a six pack after having a baby. I knew all those things. I know all those tricks and tips and all those kinds of things. Like these are the things that I teach people. So I loved that Aaron was coming from a place of like, you're amazing just as you are. And so getting her on the podcast from like before I even started the podcast, she was at the top of my list. So I'm so excited to have her here today. So I want to tell you a little bit more about Aaron before we dive in. We're going to be talking about a lot of great things today. We're going to talk about motherhood and what it looks like versus what it's quote unquote supposed to look like. We're going to talk about kind of the good, bad, and ugly. We're going to talk about body image. We're going to talk about trauma and intergenerational trauma, which is something I'm recently totally just obsessed with. So I'm really excited for you to learn from Erin. She just released her second book, Letters to Lola, which Lola is her daughter. So I just, I think that's the sweetest name. And it was a big deal to her. And she's going to talk about that. She actually started it over eight years ago when she was pregnant with her daughter. And then she has another book called As Is. So we're going to talk about all the amazing things that she's been doing. So a little bit more about Erin. She is an author, a speaker, and an activist from Lawrence, Kansas. Her work focuses on women and autonomy, which includes positive body image, authentic narrative, cultural rebellion, and radical self-care. Her first book, As Is, teaches women how to come home to a peaceful place in their bodies. Her next book, Letters to Lola, focuses on intergenerational trauma and raising 
and confident girls by addressing emotional healing in their mothers. So letters to Lola just came out for mother's day in time for mother's day. So it's now on Amazon. It's immediately within like, I think 24 hours was number one in its category on Amazon. So super, super exciting. So we're going to get right to business here. We're going to dive in and it's going to go like deep and it's going to be amazing. So hang on. This is a fun interview. You're going to learn a lot and we cover a lot of stuff here. So get ready for a really fun ride. Erin Brown, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm beyond excited to have you here today. Thank you. So we are going to dive into many things, but first I want to give a little bit of background in terms of how I found you and why it was such great timing. After I had my son, Vinny, so he's now three and a half, I was working in the personal training space and I was in a mastermind group with a lot of trainers, mostly male, and they were all great and lovely people, many whom I still have relationships with, but there was such a focus on building a business around helping women shrink and how you could make so much money doing that. And so that's kind of just what I did. And after I had my son, I did not shrink very easily after I had my son. I had a lot of health issues and didn't lose my baby weight. And I actually just did a whole episode on the podcast about how I did not lose my baby weight and how that's okay. And so I found that like being around these people was really challenging for me because I was not really prescribing to these philosophies anymore. And through Facebook, I found Go Kaleo, who's Amber Rogers. And then I found you and I was like, oh, wait, there's a place where women can not lose their baby weight and we can be okay with curvy bodies and all these things that personal trainers and fitness professionals are supposed to kind of like teach people to not do. You guys were doing the opposite and it was (laughs) so helpful to me and it really created a place in my head for me to be like, oh, wait, I can actually be a fitness professional and not just preach shrinking all the time. So I have to thank you because you were really one of the first people to open my eyes to that. And it was so transformational for me. Uh, It's so good to hear. There's a new wave of people who are doing, I think, so much better just in terms of giving women options. You know, weight loss is not the worst goal and it's not a terrible pursuit with your body, but the way that it's sold, packaged, and shame, and primarily that that's the only option available to us is silly. It's ridiculous. There's plenty of options for how to have a body, how to work out, what to care about. And I just want to speak to what else is there? (laughs) What else is there? (laughs) Right. Well, you had like a pre-fitness life and then a fitness life. And now you're kind of like in this post-fitness life and fitness is still part of it, but it's not, I don't think your main focal point. Can you kind of share a little bit of that evolution with us? Yeah. So I never really intended to have a business and I also didn't intend to be a personal trainer. (laughs) I had a big shift in thinking about myself and about even just my values when I had my baby. That was a big changing time for me. And I started paying attention to how I talked to myself because I didn't want to teach my daughter to hate herself. And I started taking care of myself in a new way because I didn't want to teach her to be a martyr. And so through that process, I ended up losing a lot of weight. I also got really excited about fitness because I had always counted myself out of that. You know, I just like wasn't one of those people, quote unquote, that liked exercise or that it worked for. You know, I tried everything and nothing worked. I was that. And so to see that I could decide what to do with my body, to see that I ran a half marathon was a really big deal for me. Like I was breaking through all of these ideas, these limiting notions I had about myself. And I lost a lot of weight in that process. And because of that, people were coming to me and asking what I did. And I was really excited about all of the new skills I had acquired. And so I just sort of organically moved into the personal training space. My sister built me a website for my birthday one year and was like, look, you're a personal trainer now. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And that was all fine and good. And then my brother-in-law, they both are in social media, made a Facebook page for my business. And I was so mad at him. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't tell him I was mad because I realized it was ridiculous. But I was like, I'm fine with having this business. I just don't want anybody to know about it. (laughs) Right. So that sort of took off, not quickly, but relatively quickly. I remember when I first saw your Facebook page, I want to say you had like maybe 10,000 followers and it like exploded. Yes. Yes. So (laughs) 
for better or worse. (laughs) Yeah. There were a lot of growing pains that came with that. I'm really thankful for my experience with social media because it has really thickened my skin. Like I don't think anything else could have. Mm -hmm. Having all of that feedback all the time taught me to not take the positive or negative to heart and attach it to myself. But I got to a space where I was getting a whole lot of negative feedback, and I realized it was mostly from people who had found my page because, you know, I posted something fitness-related, and people thought, oh, fitness and moms, because, you know, I was Fit Mama training. I like fitness and moms, and then were, like, angry that I was talking about anything other than headless ab models and get-your-weight-loss goals and whatever. And I didn't like that. It's not that I don't want to speak to these people, but I feel like my brand doesn't align with what I'm actually doing. And when I took a step back and looked at it, it's like, gosh, I've had this page for years as a quote unquote personal trainer, which I don't do anymore. And I have never advertised my services. I'm not really providing people with workouts. Like what I'm talking about this whole time is worth, you know, and self-care and there's nothing really to do with the traditional fitness brand. And so I just was like, you know what? Let's move on. This isn't what I'm doing anyway. And I feel like I'm misrepresenting myself and causing myself more grief because people are (laughs) expecting one thing from the way I'm branded and getting something else. And so I am Erin Brown is what it all changed to, which is kind of funny because I got a lot of like, who the hell do you think you are? And so I switched to I am Erin Brown. (laughs) That's exactly what I I remember when you put up that first post and when you you like introduced the name change and I was worried. I was like, oh no, like it's all going to change now because I had been following you as Fit Mama Training Mm -hmm. and then it didn't change. It was like, you just got to be who you already were and without without having people be upset about that. (laughs) Yeah. And that was a whole like change too. I mean, some people were really upset for a couple of months. Every time I posted, I would lose about a thousand followers. Oh my gosh. Um, Even though I was not doing anything different with my voice. Right. I personally think there's something to women calling themselves by their names that people don't like mm-hmm. <laughs> or just like claiming, you know, themselves. So that was interesting and, you know, kind of tugged at me for a little while. But again, you know, thick and skin, it doesn't grow or at least hasn't historically since then in the way that it did before because it's not as easy a like, I think, right. because people are like, well, who is this? What is this? It's not obvious. But I like that too. And so the audience that I have now and the following that I have are people that I think are genuinely invested in what I'm doing and what I'm saying. And people who join in like have to do a little bit more investigating. Like, who is this person? Why would I like this? Well, you're Um, creating relationships of value, which I think is so much different than just building numbers. Yes, yes. So that has definitely slowed down, but I appreciate it too, because there's a lot less trolling, there's a lot less negativity, and it just feels like a really interesting conversation I get to have on a regular basis. Yeah. And I mentioned this in your intro, you are so open with your posts, and there's like nothing is off limits. And so I love it's like anything from about women and body image and self worth, and then into things like masturbation. And you did a great review on <laughs> thinks the period underwear the other day, yes. which it's funny, because I've seen multiple people say things about the period underwear. And I've been like, Oh, I should look into that at some point. And then you wrote about it. And I was like, I have to read this whole thing. <laughs> because I know I value your opinion <laughs> so much. So I went through I read the whole thing. And I'm like, Okay, maybe I need to try these now. <laughs> So oh, I'm so anyone's been thinking about that. that, Erin did a great review and you can find that on her Facebook page. <laughs> so I always love the variety of the things that you post though, because it is from like, it can be lighter stuff like that, but it can also be like deep, meaningful, traumatic kinds of things. I mean, you have shared about your own experience with sexual abuse and coming from a background of trauma. And you've also talked about some of that with your family and with your sister and how that family dynamic has played into things. And just super interesting. And like I told you in our pre-interview, I so sound like a stalker because I know all these things about you, (laughs) but I love that you put all that out there. And I really think that you are such a beautiful example of being shameless about everything, like shameless about where you come from, shameless about how you present yourself and really shameless about using your story to help other women. And I think that that's so fantastic. And so 
tell us a little bit, you worked as a personal trainer and working as a personal trainer, it's like I mentioned before, it's just so much about teaching women how to shrink. And I struggle with this as a gym owner. That's not really what I want to do with my business. So how do you help women? I know you do a lot of speaking and a lot of writing. How do you help women get over this idea of shrinking and learn to embrace themselves as is, which is the name of Erin's first book, by the way? Well, just specific to you, actually, as a gym owner, what I did when I was a trainer, most people who came to me because I was so public about the way that I think about this stuff were not necessarily looking for weight loss or that as a primary goal. So I wasn't doing things like getting somebody as small as possible before their wedding. That's not how people came to me to begin with. So my advertising was clear in terms of who I was. But also, I spent a lot of time getting them interested in the exercise they were doing and talking about like how powerful they looked when they did things. There's like usually like three or four sessions in the squat form is looking pretty good, you know, and you can start to add some weight to it and just acknowledging like, look how powerful that is. Look how amazing that form is, you know, and putting them in the space where this is a place where I am powerful and this is a place where I'm taking care of myself. So that was always the language that I was using as a personal trainer and how I was utilizing exercise with people, which I think is much more likely to continue, you know, and if you have any sort of aesthetic goal, you're more likely to hit it if you're consistent, right? Right. But that consistency can come from, I love what I'm doing. I love how I feel when I'm doing this. You know, I love how this makes me feel about what I'm capable of. So that was the language I was always using in a gym setting. How do you feel great on vacation? Like really good? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba Effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence Whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, You are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. In my speaking, that has evolved some too. So I typically do not go speak where people tell me what I'm allowed to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Not shocking. (laughs) And so that gets to evolve as I do. It's hard for me to give a heartfelt presentation about something I don't feel today, you know? Mm -hmm. So lately that has evolved to just talking about like all of the ways that women are asked to shrink, talking to them about owning their voices, about owning their bodies, about owning the way that they take care of themselves. That's really about owning your life, Mm -hmm. you know, that you're valuable in your own life. So those are like the nuggets that I try to give an audience when I give a presentation. But that's usually always through personal narrative for me and all of the ways I've been asked to shrink or the ways my voice has been interpreted different than a man doing the same thing. And just, I don't know, it feels good to like rebel Mm -hmm. and encourage other people to come with me. Well, and I think it's also so eye-opening. I don't think that we realize how much we cower in our life until someone points it out. And so like, I didn't really realize that I'd spent my whole life trying to shrink until I heard other people start talking about it. And I was like, oh my gosh, I've totally been doing that for like 37 years. (laughs) Right. And it's so powerful to hear someone else talk about it because then I think women start to see like, oh, wait, that's what I do. And I don't need to do that. And I don't want to do that. And I don't want my kids to see me doing that. So 
that conversation, seeing and hearing more and more women having that conversation, I think is so important because it does create some context and some awareness around it, which I think just didn't exist for a long time. Well, we're just conditioned, you know, but I think about like the way sexism shows up in my life. I didn't realize when I was younger that the way that my voice was policed or the way that my body was policed was specifically because I was female. Mm -hmm. I thought, first of all, I was really insecure. So I thought it was just because something was wrong with me. And then with regards to how I used my voice, again, I tried to like make it smaller to pick my tone very carefully. I was just trying to like find the perfect way to show up because I thought something was wrong with me. And I also thought that maybe this is just because I'm young. You know, maybe that I'm being discredited and discounted and ignored because I'm young. And something about becoming someone's mother. (laughs) (laughs) It opens up something in you. Yeah, I am a grown up. What I have to Mm -hmm. say is valuable, you know, especially when I'm in my wheelhouse. I don't like just give informational speeches about things I have nothing to (laughs) say. Right. I do a lot of listening too. But, you know, when I'm in my wheelhouse, when I'm doing my work, what I have to say matters. And it's amazing how blatantly that shows up, especially online when somebody's not speaking to your face. Less so on my social media presences because people who follow me there typically are people who follow me. But when I have an article posted on Girls Gone Strong or Greatest picked up something of mine recently, when it's removed from me and just to someone else's audience, Mm -hmm. almost 100% of the time, if somebody doesn't like what I'm saying, they attack my appearance or my ability to get a man. And it's just like, is this really, this is just how we do women? That's it? That's it? Well, and it's also, I think when you surround yourself, as I see that you do, you surround yourself with really powerful, really strong women who are so much bigger than all of that. So Mm -hmm. it's easy to think that we've come a really long way. And then you see those kinds of comments and you're like, oh my gosh, have we even come forward at all? Right. (laughs) Because I think that you do make a conscientious effort. And I know I do. Like I really filter what I see online. Like I am very careful about who I allow into my newsfeed because I know how that impacts my headspace. And I like, that's my right and my privilege. And so it's like, I invite everyone into my Facebook living room. And I totally understand what you're saying about being out on someone else's living room, if you will. Right. It like opens the door for that. And you don't realize how prevalent it is until you get out there in a little different niche here and there. And then you're like, oh, wait, this still totally exists. Because you kind of can get into this bubble where you're like, no, I've like conquered all this. It's done and over. Like women all rule now. And then nope. (laughs) So one of the things, well, you talk about a lot of different things that some women are probably very uncomfortable with. Um, Some women I think are very uncomfortable talking about their past, talking about assault and trauma and abuse and those kinds of things, which you talk really openly about in a very graceful fashion. So How does your role as a mom impact and inspire how you express yourself so publicly? Because I think it's really powerful. Well, that's an interesting question. So right now, like literally my goal is to try to change the culture around me as rapidly as possible because my daughter's growing up in it. And so I'm pretty fearless when it comes to that because all of my work is coming from a space of mama bear. And even though I want to see you know, women in general step into a new space, which is, I believe, how our culture changes at the forefront of that always is how can I make changes that will be better for my little girl's life. So that's where it is now. I don't know how that will change and evolve as she gets older and, you know, has a Facebook page and her friends have access to the internet and are reading my stuff. Will I still be writing about masturbation? I don't know. (laughs) You know, which is funny, you mentioned that I write about lighter topics and masturbation in there. That was one that I got the most angry mail about that I've gotten in a long time, Um, which doesn't upset me, but it's upsetting on a macro level to me. Like, is this really so awful (laughs) that I would enjoy myself in that way? Yeah. so taboo because it certainly isn't that men do it. That's like, it's a given. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So my husband and I have had a long fertility journey and I talk about it openly on social media and in my podcast and stuff. And that's, I have started to think like there are things. And I also talk about like my son not being a super easy baby and those kinds of things where I think like at some point, am I going to have to start filtering things? Because I don't want him to come back listening to this stuff and be like, my mom didn't really like being a mom for a while. (laughs) And, And all these things that just are, you know, I don't want him to be uncomfortable with like how 
our pregnancy came to be and like all these things that I want to share because I think it's important women talk about these things. But then you also do have that context of like, there's this little person behind it. And how is that going to impact them? And I'm just starting to think about all that. And I'm probably like a little bit late because I've already put a lot out there. But I also think that it's so important to me to stand for what I stand for and to put that out there. And you know, I want that to be part of my legacy and part of what my son most admires and respects about me. There are definitely things that have happened with Lola and I's relationship and her relationship, like to her body, for example, that I would love to share and don't because I respect that that's her story. Right. So I'm always coming from the position of telling my own stories. And I think that, you know, when it comes to infertility, when it comes to sexual assault, when it comes to these taboo things, the more we're talking about it, the less taboo they are. I don't want those things to be a secret for my daughter. And I don't think that she owns my stories either, you know? Mm -hmm. So everything that I've done this far has been very specific to personal narrative. If I'm sharing something of hers, she has given me the okay on that. And that has become more closed off in the last year or so. She wants to be less present there. And I respect that. But yeah, I don't know what happens when she gets older. I intend to write a second edition to Letters to Lola theoretically, though we'll see how things progress, but theoretically, I'd like to write an addition having to do with how we navigate her teen years. And it could be that we co-write that together when she's 16. And it could be be that she doesn't want that to happen until she's like 30. (laughs) You know what I mean? So I'm always mindful, not just with my daughter, but in general, that the stories I'm sharing are my own. And even in the recent book, there's other people in there. They're all aware for the most part. Like the guy who assaulted me, is I didn't call him and ask permission to share that story, but he's also not identified. Okay. Um, but anybody identifiable that I have a relationship with has signed off on anything that I write about them. And otherwise, it's just really me taking accountability for myself. Nice. Yeah. I've noticed as I've started the podcast, I had a girlfriend recently, and she's like, every episode when you're talking about friends who have two little kids, I think you're talking about me. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I have to be careful about like, I just be aware that like, people are trying to connect dots. <laughs> and, yes. and I certainly have like, you know, tried to keep it all in like very positive frame of references and stuff. Like I'm definitely not like on my podcast bashing people. But it was such an eye opener for me. I was like, I need to be careful and like make sure that I do ask people before I say things because I can be such an open book. But that doesn't mean that's anyone else's comfort zone. And it's I can't do that again. You know, it's not my place or position to share anyone else's story, just my own. So Mm -hmm. I totally get that. So you really openly share your highs and your lows as if you manage them very well. And it's all this kind of seamless, very lovely, self-aware world that you live in. Can you tell us what your shameless reality is? Like the raw mommy moments that really push you to grow? Oh my gosh. Well, like the mommy specific is I have like an anger streak that (laughs) scares me sometimes, you know, if I'm just like up against a wall. And it's been a while because this was really when she was a toddler and we were at home all day together and it was probably time for her to have more socialization and we moved on to preschool. But before we were able to make that transition, I just would get like ragey, you know, when she was being like a normal toddler and not following directions or made a huge mess that we didn't have time to clean up, that kind of stuff would just like see red. And I would have to put myself alone. And it actually worked out really well because I just started communicating with her about it. Because if she wasn't here and I was feeling that way, I'd talk to myself. So I just talked to her. (laughs) And I was just like, mommy is really frustrated right now. And I don't feel like I can be a good mom right now. So I'm going to take a little time out and I'll be back and would just put myself in my room and breathe until I was able to interact with her because I never want to interact with my kid from a place of rage. I mean, gosh, you know, but this moment's really difficult for me to not judge myself in because Mm -hmm. I'm like, how am I, how am I feeling so much rage at my beautiful little baby who's just behaving age appropriate, you know? It's so hard. And it's so interesting. Like I have a really strong willed son and I feel like all the things that will make him really successful in life are the things that make him really challenging sometimes. And so in the middle of these moments, I'm like, just be grateful. Just be grateful. Like, (laughs) Like you can't be. And we found like, I don't generally find that timeout is super effective for him 
but I find that it's effective for me sometimes. And just like you're saying, like, I just need a little bit of space from the situation because I'm so frustrated. And so that's kind of how, like, we use time out for that more than anything else, just for like us to have a little bit of space from each other, because we can boast to angry for a really long time. Right. Well, she started putting herself in time out, which was awesome because she saw me doing it. And when she was little, it was so cute. She was like three and she'd be mad at me and she'd be like, I am going to my room. <laughs> it was like, great. Fantastic. That is great. I realize you're punishing me right now, but that is actually perfect. So and she funny. still does that. I mean, not in the same sort of like three-year-old indignant kind of way, but she put herself in her room for a while if she needs to calm down about something or collect herself, you know? So that was, in the end, I thought I was ruining my kid because that's what we think all the time. Right. But actually I was teaching her to step away when yeah. you can't function correctly. (laughs) It's so funny because it's so hard in the moment. You always think that you're doing the wrong thing. But then after like, you know, you can look at it in hindsight and be like, actually, no, like there was value in that. And that was actually a good coping mechanism. And Oh, yeah. And in general, outside of the mommy thing, because we're pretty solid right now, but she's also in school and I have so much time alone. So I take really good care of myself. But the seamlessness is really kind of dramatic. (laughs) I mean, like... (laughs) When I have difficult emotions, especially like putting this book out where I'm talking about all these things, but I'm writing it to my daughter. I mean, it was like a deeply emotional, just like literally opening veins to write this stuff and then put it into the world. Like all of that has carried a lot of weight and I've been sort of all over the map emotionally. And the way that I navigate that is by feeling all of it. And that doesn't necessarily look awesome all the time. I mean, sometimes that means I'm just like weeping and going to find like a place to lay in the grass and look at the sky. And sometimes that's finding something to hit and getting anger out. But it certainly isn't like that I'm like neatly packaging my emotions. It's that I'm not. And that lets them come and go freely. But, you know, to an outsider, to somebody who is not comfortable with the breadth of emotions that we have in life, it could look unstable. And it's not. It's just like, this is how I'm feeling. And I'm going to figure out how to work through this feeling through it and not put it somewhere. Right. That's where I think that like with the rage that I felt when she was little is because I wasn't acknowledging all the time and space I needed. And you know. yeah, which you get none of when you are at home with a toddler and they're not exactly. in school. <laughs> exactly. And then your husband comes home, or at least in my world, my husband comes home and doesn't understand that I need a break, but he's been at work all day. All of these things. Right. <laughs> It's a lot of dynamics. It's funny because I feel like I have friends who have like three and four kids and I feel like there's so many dynamics with just one kid. And I'm like, I don't understand how you manage the dynamics when that's like exponentially greater. So I can completely relate to the things that you're saying. Cause we go through a lot of the same things here. When I remember my husband, when my son was really little, he'd say th- something along the lines of like, I'll be home at six 15. And I would literally like, if he came home at six 16, I was beside myself because when you have those days, like you are very much counting on that ending yeah. and it's a countdown to that ending. And so if mm-hmm. they don't walk in the door at the time they say they're going to walk in the door, it's like all over. Right. I I could only keep it together for one more minute. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because I felt and I would catch myself and I'd be like, seriously, like, I really feel like I'm on a ticking time bomb and like, I cannot hold it together one more minute. And this was when Vinny was very tiny. And so I was like, God, what kind of a mom am I that I have this like three month old and I can only keep it together until 615, not 616. So. Well, and this is why we have to talk about it. I mean, you know, you think about your son coming back and listening to these things if he wants to. Then I also wonder like, will Lola even want to read this stuff? Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if they revisit these things and that prepares them more adequately for what it's like to be a parent. You yeah. know, I think part of the reason why our generation of mothers feels so much shame and talk about it better, which is good, is because there wasn't a whole lot of conversation beforehand about it being so dang hard. Right. You know, women's stories have been silenced for so long that conversations like motherhood is hard weren't being had. And they were very taboo. You know, you're a bad mom if you don't enjoy every moment of being pooped on and spit up on and (laughs) your hair pulled, you know, and that's not all beautiful. There's a chapter in the book about that and about how I lost myself to her for a couple of years, you know. 
Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent with sometimes hilarious and always thought provoking experts and friends at Mindful Mama. We know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. And I said in there that I would never take that back. But also, I wanted to know that. That's a real kind of normal possibility of having a baby is that you're gone from yourself for a while. Right. Yeah. And that is not expected. Like I went through that. We were in a baby group from the time my son was like two or three months old. And every week we would get together with these seven other families and talk about highs and lows. And every week my low was that I felt like I was mourning my old life. And this one for months, I would just be like, yep, still mourning my old life. Like no one told me that, you know, I said every day feels the same, but it's not like every day is Saturday. It's every day is the worst Monday of your life over and over again. (laughs) And not that it was all bad and not that I didn't enjoy parts of that life, but I didn't expect my old life to be gone in such an instant. And with no hope of getting it back anytime. Like I was more like you have to adjust to new normal and then the new normal will evolve, but you're never going to go back to the place that you were at. And this was for us, like it took us two years to get pregnant. I felt like I should be so grateful for every single moment I have with this baby. And I did not feel that grateful. (laughs) So it's so many conflicting emotions. Mm -hmm. So I want to dig into a little bit more about letters to Lola. Can you tell us which you've addressed already a little bit, but the inspiration behind the book and what the writing process has been like for you? So I started it when I was pregnant with her. Oh, you did? I didn't realize you started it that long ago. Mm-hmm. And then tabled it for many years. Okay. <laughs> but the idea came to me when I was pregnant because I wanted to do a lot of self-disclosure. One of the things that makes me really sad in my relationships with women is how many women I know don't feel like they'll ever really know who their mother was you know, particularly outside of who they were as a mom. And we are full people, right? Don't know about their mom's history, don't know about these things that really matter. And I think that part of knowing and understanding yourself is knowing and understanding your mom. I mean, that's just so connected to who we are. So I wanted to write that stuff down for her. I wanted her to know about my history. I wanted to know about things that I'm scared of and my hopes for her. I wanted to have all of that written down so that she would never be one of those women who didn't feel like she knew who her mother was. Also wanted to write down stuff about sex and relationships and friendship and conflict management and all of these things that I think become really difficult, depending on the kid, but 12, 13, you know, when hormones start happening and they need you the most and also begin to distance themselves, which is totally appropriate because they're figuring out who they are and exploring independence. And so I wanted a way to write all of that down before we got there so that she would have access to my stories and my words whenever she needed them, if for whatever reason she wouldn't come to me. So that was the idea. You know, I didn't want to like talk to her about sex and have her think that I just don't like her current boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to have it all done way before we get there. Yeah. So that was the idea behind it. The writing process was mostly scary to think about 
and really great to get into. I still cry every time I read it, especially certain parts, but it's exactly what I wanted it to be. And then there are two books that will be following it in 2017 and possibly 2018. One is a comprehensive sex education book that I have a sexologist writing for my site. And then the third book will be a collection of essays by people who have different identities and experiences than me, both to give her the opportunity to have empathy for people who have different experiences Mm -hmm. and so that she could have the opportunity to me too. And that started for a lot of reasons, but when she's biracial, I can't speak to that. And that's an important part of her identity. I wanted somebody to write about that. I don't know what her sexual orientation will be. I don't, you know, some of these things probably would have popped up by now, but I want her to understand diverse gender identity and, you know, all of this. So it will be a collection of stories that's just with more diverse understandings of the world for her to learn and grow from as well. So those are the two that are coming later. Oh, super cool. I didn't know you had such a master plan. I love it. (laughs) I love it. So I want to ask you a little bit about one of the things you talk about in your bio is intergenerational trauma. And I'm kind of, this is kind of a tangent to the book, but I think that that's something that is probably addressed in the book. And can you just talk a little bit about this? Because this is something that's new on my radar. And what I'm learning quickly, the significance of it. But I think that probably a lot of people don't even know what that means. And when I saw that in your bio, I was like, oh my gosh, I have to ask her about that. And if you could just share a little bit. Yeah. So this is one of those things that I sort of came to on my own and then found that it was like a whole field of study that exists. (laughs) But I believe that what I don't heal from, I pass on. And so that was the work that I started when I was pregnant with her because it just smacked me in the face that as her primary role model is the person who would teach her what it is to be a woman, that all I had to teach her at this point was how to hate herself. And working through that, found that it wasn't really about my weight, that it was really about this history that I haven't even begun to address. I've written about this, but I haven't spoken about it very often. But when I was assaulted, I did talk to my mom about it. And my mom gave me a hug and she left me a note the next day that said that God would forgive me. And then we never spoke about it again. Oh my Um, gosh. And we have spoken about it. It's been about a year ago now. And only recently she's given me permission to tell all of this. So that's, that's a piece that's been missing from the story for a while out of respect for my mother. But the reason that she wasn't able to show up for me, I believe, is because of her history. She also has a history of sexual assault. So when confronted with what happened to me, she was confronted with her own history and her own shame around it, you know? And so I imagine she gave me that note and she doesn't remember, so she can't speak to it. But I imagine she gave me that note because knowing my mom's upbringing, that was probably her primary concern, you know, will God forgive me for this? And I think she still struggles with that having been her fault because that's our conditioning. And so, you know, what she didn't heal, she passed on. Going back farther than that, I believe that there was a similar experience between her and her mother when it happened to her. I see this absolutely with body image. And I know that it makes moms feel really guilty when I talk about it. And that's not really the point. Like, (laughs) if you have some say so in it, then that means that you can grow and change for the better, right? But we get really mad at magazines and Photoshop and all of these things that we say, this is the reason that we feel this way about ourselves. But I don't know very many women who didn't learn first from their mother that their bodies weren't good enough by how their mother spoke to themselves. And so that to me is energy generational trauma. What you don't heal from, you live in and you pass it on. And so I'm always working on my own healing work and hoping to be transparent with my daughter about what that is, as much as that is age appropriate, so that she can have her own experience and not just be handed my shit. Right. So this came up for me in therapy. So I've talked multiple times on the podcast about how I'm in therapy and it's like a recent discovery for me. And I think everyone should be in therapy now. And So it came up for me, I don't even remember what the context was. So my therapist brought up the term intergenerational trauma. And when she brought it up, and it was kind of like suggesting like, well, there's some things that you know, you probably learned from your mom and carried on and whatever. And I immediately felt this like very protective instinct. My mom was a single parent who worked really hard. And I was like, No, I did not get this from my mom. And she was Mm -hmm. like, it's not a bad thing. But just like, let's recognize what the past is. And from a neutral standpoint, let's just see, you know, like, let's make some connections here. It was really, really interesting. And I think everything that you just said, makes so much sense. And it's not necessarily because our parents don't care, or our parents didn't protect us, or they didn't take good care of us or any of those things. It's just, I mean, I think that every mom learns as they go. And 
Uh we're just passing things down. We're all doing the best that we can. Like, I don't think that anyone is like out there intentionally doing the wrong thing or not doing right by their kids, but we do the best that we can. And sometimes we don't learn until after the fact that like, Oh, the way that I did that had some fallout or some, you know, side effects or implications. And so I'm just totally intrigued by this work now. So I appreciate you. Well, and it's not, I think that the, the thought process behind that, because we're just handed so much guilt for not doing everything perfectly all the time is that it's about, blame. And -hmm. it's not, I don't blame for my experience. I don't blame her for the way she was able to show up for me and not, you know, I have a lot of compassion and empathy for her story and her struggles and all of that. It's not, I love my mom. I got the pick of the litter in terms of moms. But for me, I want to acknowledge all of that history and I want to acknowledge all of my history so that I can show up differently for my daughter, which is a different standpoint. You know, it's like I have some power here and I have some power here in how we move forward and I can decide if this cycle continues or doesn't. Right. And I can through doing the scary work of looking back at my old stuff and working through it, show up differently for my kid than has been able to happen before. So it's really about personal power and ownership more so than blame. You know, I don't have any blame for anybody and acknowledging where something comes from is not the same as blaming it. It's just like, hey, here we are. Here's where we've been and where are we going from here and how. Yeah, that's a really good point and a really important distinction. So tell us where we can find your book. We're going to go through our little lightning round in just a minute, but I want to make sure everyone knows where they can find your book because now I'm sure everyone's so intrigued after hearing all this. So where can we find Letters to Lola? (laughs) It's currently only on Amazon. So just Google or search on Amazon for Letters to Lola. It's there. And my first book, As Is, is there as well. Yes, perfect. And I have the Kindle version of As Is, but you can also get a hard physical copy. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. The ebook is on my website at iamarinbrown.com. Okay. Oh, and there's a workbook that your moms might be interested in. I made a workbook. It's just a $5 download on my website that is a lot of introspective questions for moms to answer themselves for their kids. So it's an opportunity to do this similar kind of work. Most of the questions in the workbook are personal history stuff. There's not like, tell me about your trauma. So it doesn't have to be, it can go wherever you want it to. Okay. And it's a PDF. So if there's a page you don't want to have in there, you can just take it out and they won't know it's missing. My original intention was to have that be a component of the book. But then I realized that some people wouldn't want to do that. (laughs) And that if I put questions in there that weren't answered, that that would be damaging possibly, you know? So I just have it as a separate piece, but it's available on my website. And then from there, there's a secret link on my website that has a whole bunch of possible topics you could cover if you wanted to. Oh, cool. So where on your site is all that? I am erinbrown.com slash shop. Slash shop. Okay. All right. So I'm making a note here. Okay, so we'll make sure that we put all that in the show notes. So for those of you listening, if you head over to shamelessmom.com and we'll go ahead and make sure we have everything that has been addressed here, links to the Amazon pages and links to Aaron's shop and all that so that people can access all of that. Okay, so Shameless Mommy Minute, we're going to go through a little more light topic questions. So (laughs) let's get started with red or white wine. Well, it's always both red in the winter and white in the summer. That's kind of how I am. I used to only be red. And then the first summer after I had Vinny, I gave myself a white wine challenge, which was to learn how to like white wine over the course of the summer. And it went very well. And then the next summer, my challenge was a whiskey challenge where I wanted to learn how to like whiskey over the course of the summer. So then I didn't have one this summer. So I need like coming up for 2016, I need a new alcohol challenge. Did you discover to like whiskey? Yes. I love whiskey. I totally, yeah, I don't like all of it, but there's definitely some that I do like. Yeah. And I don't drink it straight. I'm not super hardcore. I can drink it straight, but this is like my weird, but I want it to have one really big ice cube. Like I don't want like a lot of ice cubes, just one really big one. (laughs) So like Perfect. we had that at a restaurant once, like at a fancier restaurant. I was like, oh, they have these really cool, huge ice cubes. That's like the only thing I want now. So we got like the molds to make the big, huge ice cubes. Okay. <laughs> Current book you're reading or the last one you read? You know, I saw this on the questions and then wasn't sure how I was going to answer it. When I am writing, I don't read other people's work. So I haven't read anything recently because I've been writing for the last... Is that because... Book. Is that like a conscious so that you don't pick up their... Yes. 
That's a really good, I notice I struggle with that. If I reading a book of someone's and then I go to like write a blog post within like the same hour, I like become the other person. <laughs> right. So I guess, I mean, I still do audiobooks and I've done, there's an audiobook called An Energy Clearing by Cindy Dale. I do that pretty regularly now. It's like two and a half hours, but whenever I need that, which I've needed mm-hmm. while it is writing. So that, okay. and my favorite book that I always go back to is Tiny Beautiful Things by Cheryl Strayed, but not a lot of reading recently when I'm creating. I don't consume. Okay. I'm going to make sure I get this in the show notes. What's the energy clearing, the name of the author? Cindy Dale is her name. Okay. All right. And then what is your favorite non-work related thing to do when you have time to yourself? (sighs) Well, to me, it all sort of feels like my work, but (laughs) (laughs) strength training and hiking are like my favorite things ever. But both of those things fill me and that allows me to work. So I feel like all of my life is like created around this like beautiful work life balance that involves a lot of taking care of me. (laughs) Good, good. Which is very important. What's your one morning ritual you can't live without? Well, I always go to the gym first thing. I'm not really a coffee person. I don't have any like very specific morning rituals. I'll be really interested to hear the answer to this question after the summer because my daughter will be home with me. So I'll have to get up to have that time alone. But right now I just take her to school and I go straight to the gym and that's like my power hour for just me. Okay, nice. I have to work out first thing in the morning or I lose my mind. So I can relate to that one. Who is your biggest inspiration? As far as writers go, Cheryl Strayed. As far as activists go, Gloria Steinem. Not always a fan of what she's been up to lately. Like, I feel like she's misstepped a little lately, but just in terms of being like a ferocious, unapologetic woman, ugh, I love her. Nice, nice. If you could give all moms one superpower, what would it be and why? I would take away all of the guilt around taking care of yourself. I I just think it's such a disservice to the fact that we're whole humans that we feel like once we have a kid, our lives don't belong to us anymore. So if I could take away whatever that is that makes us feel guilty for giving to ourselves, I would do that. I love that. And I so agree. Like I said, that first year when I felt like I didn't have my life anymore. And then I was like, oh, wait, like I can put a piece of myself into this and hold that sacred. So, well, Erin, thank you so much. I really, really appreciated you taking time on the Shameless Mom Academy today. And especially I know Lola is homesick. And so I hope she gets better. And I appreciate you uh, taking the time while she's home. We will make sure to link up everything in the show notes so everyone can find your information to get your book and everything. And then I would love to have you come back sometime when you have another project in the pipeline and we can get people all pumped up for your next thing. Because I can tell like you have so many things coming up in the next couple of years that I know I know I'm going to be continuing to stalk you <laughs> to see how they're going. <laughs> so, so excited. Thank you very much, Erin. We will talk to you again soon. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for spending time with Aaron and I today. If this episode was meaningful to you or you think might be meaningful to other women in your life, please feel free to share it. I think that Aaron has some really powerful messages and her philosophies have been tremendously impactful in my life in the last few years. So I really encourage you to share her words of wisdom with other people who might benefit from her knowledge and her grace. And as well, if you are new to the Shameless Mom Academy and you haven't listened before, you can find us here every Monday and Wednesday. We have new episodes. So we would love to have you back anytime. You can find us online at shamelessmom.com and on social media on Instagram and Facebook at the Shameless Mom Academy. Thank you so much for listening in. It's an honor and a privilege to be able to spend time with you each week. I don't take that lightly. I really do treasure the time that I get to spend with my people. So like you guys are totally my people. So I really do enjoy the time that we spend together. And it is of huge value to me to be able to share with you and learn with you. So I hope that it was as meaningful to you as it was to me. Whatever you do between now and the next time we connect, make sure you do it shamelessly. Hey, are you a parent of a teenager? Are you feeling overwhelmed about how to be what they need while also holding limits and boundaries that keep them safe? Are you tired of conversations that negate how messy this season of parenting is? 
Well, I've got you. My name is Casey O'Rourke. I am a positive discipline trainer, parent coach, and the host of the Joyful Courage podcast. Every week I come to you with an interview, digging into tough topics with experts I trust and solo shows that go deep into the personal growth and mindset needed to raise teens in a way that grows them into confident, capable young people. I am not afraid of getting real about the intersection of conscious parenting and the teen years, while also bringing in vulnerability, humor, and lightness. I'm walking the path with you and honored to serve. Listen to Joyful Courage on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts.